Thanks for downloading the RCF podcast. You're about to hear a message in day five of our Gathering 2015 conference from Minister William T. Branch. You can be seated. It is good to be with you again. The Lord has graced me to be able to not only do what I should do, but to like it. My man Sam and I were talking this morning. He said, I don't have a problem with working 68 hours a week. He said, I just have a problem working 68 hours hours a week and not liking it. I said, yeah, you know, a long time ago I asked the Lord, give me the privilege to rep him because it just seemed like that's all I wanted to do. I said, you should, like, it would be nice, Lord, if you make it so that that is my job. And um, so the Lord has actually allowed me to live modestly uh, it's not like I'm balling but I'm like the psalmist says I really have not been begging bread I, I, I mean I've he said I haven't seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread and when my father grew up my father is my mentor my 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 earthly hero um, the greatest man on the planet today led me to Christ as a young uh, as a young child, raised me in the faith militantly with the belt. Um, the Lord sustained the scars, the mental scars. And, um, but he used to always say, he says, son, I don't care if I have anything. He says, but when it's time to get on the bus, I just need to be able to get on the bus. We were in New York City, so we could talk like that. If it's time to get on the bus, because some people are like, get on the bus. Like, you know I mean, not just because you have to, like in the, in the city, in New York, like you get on the bus even if you have a car. <laughs> like, I better get on there. Yeah, you know I mean, uh, so long story short, he just, so I just want to let you all know that it is a privilege to be here today. And then it's a privilege to leave the concert venue, the stage, and then stand behind the sacred desk. Um, because this is a privilege. Um, not granted to many, especially on the outside. So I just want to thank Pastor. I want to thank you, Church, uh, for allowing me to be here and um, send you greetings from the Branch family. Michelle, my wife, 19 years. Can you believe it? <laughs> Jeremiah, Trinity, Eden, and Sinai. One boy, three girls. And uh, so the Branches are your family. We're in Wake Forest, North Carolina right now. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wake Forest is in the house. Word. Amen. Praise God. Why don't we pray, ask for the Lord's help, then dive in. Heavenly Father, we bless you. We thank you. Um, You're God and we're not. Um, The earth revolves around you. You don't revolve around us. Um, Lord God, you made earth as a stage on which you could show yourself strong, show yourself mighty, show yourself glorious. Um, We thank you for the sight to see that. Um, Lord God, when Peter recognized the the true identity of the Lord Jesus, uh, Lord Jesus, you said flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. My Father in heaven did. If we see you rightly, Lord Jesus, It's not because we're so smart. It's because you've revealed the true identity of the Lord Jesus Christ to us. Would you continue to show us the wonders of who you are? Because if you don't, we will drift the way that this world takes us. But because of you, we have a firm foundation and an anchor for our souls. And we thank you that you're committed to keeping us until that day when you present us with your people, spotless, without fault, without blemish. Thank you for the righteousness that you give people who are trusting in Christ. And now as we go into the word, would you grace this moment and use it for your namesake in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what I want to do this morning is I want to continue with what's been happening not only yesterday but today. And that is I want to continue to 
join us in considering God in all of his greatness, in the greatness of that gospel. Now, I hear a amen or two in the front. If these things resonate with your soul, I don't mind if you let it be known. Amen. So there's a prolific author named A.W. Tozer. Perhaps you know of him. Wrote books like Pursuit of God and Knowledge of the Holy and several other great books. He makes this insightful statement that I think sort of sets up where we're at today. He says, in this hour, and this is during his day, so long time ago, but he says, in this hour of all but universal darkness, one cheering gleam appears. There are increasing numbers of persons whose religious lives are marked by a growing hunger after God himself. They are eager for spiritual realities and will not be put off with words, nor will they be content with correct interpretations about truth. They have a thirst for God, and they will not be satisfied till they have drunk deep at the fountain of living water. Doesn't that sound good? That's, he has a way with words. He says, they don't just want religion. They don't want to just come up in the building. They don't just want to have a good pastor. They don't just want a, a, a daily bread in their purse. They want to drink deeply from the fountain of living water. There are people like that, is what he was saying. He says, he says, in almost universal darkness, everywhere you look, it's dark. But there's still some people who seem to want to drink deeply from the living water. So he, so he goes on. I want to deliberately encourage this mighty longing after God. The lack of it has brought us to our present low estate. The stiffened, wooden quality about our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. Too bad that for many of us he waits so long. And so long in vain. I like the fact that rap or not, urban or not, kid friendly or not, this has been true. And this is my mission to deliberately encourage the mighty longing after God. I know some of you are thinking it's good for our young people that he's here. Pastor is so nice. I'm glad he got it for the young people. I'll be honest with you. Anybody who comes behind this pulpit should have one goal, and that is that all that have breath should praise the Lord. Everybody in here, this word is for everybody. And I believe that we have... A generation of people that are getting cheap substitutes and therefore our longing for God is being quieted and what God wants to do is he wants to remind us that he he himself is the the big idea and life is about him and young people need to know that they will stand before the same God that their parents stood before when God would appear to youth he was, they would say, well, what, oh, you're the God our fathers told us about. <laughs> same God, same God of the youth, same requirements by grace through faith, same standard, God's holiness. So we just, today, can we just talk like we're one body? And if you're not a Christian in here, we're so glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Because the New Testament, our Bible, the, the part that, that brings all of history to a climax, says that people are supposed to be able to walk into places where Christians are gathering and observe that God is among us. They're supposed to. 
And they're supposed to say, they, they, I can tell God is their preoccupation. And therefore, today I want to turn your attention to a probably a biblical story that many of you have heard, some of you may not have. Second Kings chapter 5 is the story of a man named Naaman the leper. If you can meet me there, Second Kings chapter 5, Naaman. Naaman. Because of its length, I'm going to read the verses. But I want to read the verses and stop and start. When you go home tonight, maybe read it as one whole story so you can catch the flow. Uh, but today, what I'm going to try to do is articulate the story and then unpack its truths for us. Because today, I just want to talk about the greatness of God and his gospel. I just, I just want to talk about the greatness of God and his gospel. Verse 1, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Let's just stop right there. Meet Naaman. Naaman is called here a great man, a great man with his master. So he had a great master. He was a great man. It says high in favor. So he had great esteem. It says because the Lord had given him victory. Now, for you who know your Bible, Naaman is not part of the covenant people of God. Naaman is on the other side of things. Naaman was against Israel. But the text tells us that God had given him victory, so Naaman is basically living the good life. He was given victory. He was a mighty man of valor, so he could fight. So Naaman is a great man with a great job, with a great life, and then the but comes in. But he was a leper. The Bible loves to do this. The Bible loves to prop up and acknowledge the greatness of man only to append it with a but. The Bible says that God made man to reflect him. So no wonder we kind of are all that. Even the marred, the scarred, the diminished version of a so you ever see a crumpled up dollar? you like, I mean, it's an ugly dollar, but it is a dollar. <laughs> you know, and so when you need that dollar, you know, you, oh, I got one. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Because it's still what it is. Well, God makes clear. You, you're, you are the image. You're in the image of the one. So you are what you are. So we say, everyone. The terrorist is still made in the image of God. The drug dealer is still in the image of God. The businessman still in the image of God. You are what you are. And so what the Bible likes to do is highlight the stuff we get excited about, and then God interjects with the divine butt. <laughs> Naaman, great man. The Bible zeroes us in quickly on his great need. He was a leper. He had a disease that in God's economy would rule you unclean. He had a disease of the skin, and it was bad. And isn't that just like the era we're in? The greatness of man is undisputed. But so is the but. I was just looking. Taylor Swift, 50 million Instagram followers. 50 million People want to know what she's doing, what she's eating, what she's wearing. Kim Kardashian right behind her, 48 million. Beyonce right behind her, almost 48 million. We're talking about the grandeur and the greatness of mere men and women. I was tempted to envy like Asaph in the Psalms when I heard that Sean Diddy Combs made $60 million last year. Jay-Z right behind him, $56 million. Pope Francis went to Philly, my hometown, and shut the place down. 
No school. You couldn't go and shop. You couldn't do anything for days because the great Pope Francis was there. Oh, the greatness of man. And then God interjects with a but. I don't know who's here today. I don't know what your credentials are. I don't know what your resume is. Pretty impressive, I'm willing to bet. But. <laughs> but. Michael Jackson, they say, made gross $2 billion after his death. Sold 50 million albums after his death. Circle delay, Cirque de Lo, whatever the circus delay, oh. Circus Olay, yeah, yeah, Cirque de Lo, whatever it is. I still can't say it. But one day, whatever the medical issues were, Whitney Houston. killed the Super Bowl, that, that national anthem. But one day. And then her daughter. But. So the saying is, the best of men are a minute best. And it's against the backdrop of the greatness of man and the greatness of man's need that we get to go from man's greatness to reveling in God's greatness. And so I want to look at this story and show you how it highlights the greatness of God in contrast to the limited and all so easy to diminish greatness of man so that we'll have a grandeur, a grandiose view of God and his gospel and less of a view about the greatness of man around us, all right? Is that all right? So verse 2 to 8, we're going to start going down. Verse 2 to 8. So it says here, he was a leper. Verse 2. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. Verse 3. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. I want to stop. Your pastor mentioned it earlier. God's greatness can be seen in his providence. Providence, big word. It just means God is behind the scenes working on the low. God is behind the scenes navigating circumstances of everyone's life to a desired end. That's his providence. It's God doing what he does but staying anonymous. It's God in the cut. It's God on the low. It's not like the Wizard of Oz, some man behind a curtain flipping switches. This is the divine God who's able to successfully steer things to his desired end. It's his providence. And the Bible usually introduces it, not usually, but at least often, introduces it with a now. It's almost like now a certain man, you know, it makes a quick, a quick abrupt pivot. He was a man. Now, there was a little girl who got swept up on one of the raids. She happened to be working for the wife of the man that had the great, the great man that had the great need. And she happened to know about a prophet in Israel, which was actually going to be the cure. The solution to the great man who had a great need was a not so great little girl caught up working for the great man who knew about a not-so-great prophet. Now, the reason why you and I say not-so-I mean, not-so-great, we know they're great, but not with the lenses of our normal way of assessing greatness. Naaman has a name. In the Bible, nameless people are nameless for a reason. They're not that significant. That's the way the Bible does it. So the fact that it says, now a little girl, now we have the nameless who works in the house of Naaman. Now we have the great 
one with the need and the nameless one with the solution. God navigating. Here's a lesson for some of you. You never know how God's going to do it. In this case, Naaman is about to get the, the, the thing he most needs from somebody he swept up on a raid. Talking to my man Sam this morning. I said, I'm holding this one for you, Sam. You don't know how God wants to do it. I'm in Wake Forest right now, not because I was flipping through rental guides or the housing market. I wasn't looking at good schools. I was sitting in my couch wondering, when, God? How long, Lord? And one day, a friend of mine came by and said, hey, you want to do a concert with me? I said, I only got, I'm, I'm a feature on your album. He said, just come with me. I said, okay. I go. And I happened to meet the pastor who happened to take a liking to me, who happened to invite me to come to do a PhD at a school that they're undergirding so that the finances don't burden doesn't rest on me. Happened to be able to come there and get a brand new start for the family. Get there, happen to have moved next door to a mechanic because I had shabby vehicles. Happen to be next door to the mechanic who's been taking care of the vehicles. Happen to be next door to one of the guys that knew the pastor, so they gave us a new vehicle. I'm just saying, you never know how he's going to do it. That's all. That's all I'm saying. You just never know. Remember back when I was 19, I don't want to belabor this point, but this may be the one for you all because you want to know when God and you want to know how God. All I can tell you is providence doesn't guarantee you you'll know how. Providence just guarantees it'll happen. I don't know how. You may get swept up in something and that's how. I remember being newly well, I was married, and then I had, we had a three-month-old. I owed $10,000 worth of school debt, hindering me from being able to continue my college education. I believed that God wanted me there. I believed that God wanted to do this. I longed for it, but I stopped being antsy about it. So I forgot about it. I forgot that it was pressing on me. And then one day I was trying to get an apartment for my wife and for my three-month-old Jeremiah. And I, I, we could not find an apartment. I couldn't find a job. Wifey wasn't working because she just had Jeremiah. So we were basically like Naaman, but. <laughs> Don't you got some albums? Yeah, but I'm homeless. <laughs> And then one day, out of the blue, I get a phone call. The money you need has been granted. Pack your bag, school starts tomorrow. You never know how he's going to do it. Naaman didn't know that when he went out on a raid and God gave him victory on that raid, that the solution to his butt, his problem was going to come through. God is seen as great in that he's the one behind the scenes who rigged this. You never know how he's going to do it. God is also seen as great in his goodness. It's one thing for you to know that God will steer things. It's another thing for the one steering you to be able to count on being good. Look what she says in verse 3. If you just hooked up with the prophet, he'd cure you. What gives you this notion that if I meet the prophet, a cure is going to come my way? Because God's good like that. Why? She knew something about God's character. Psalm 119, 68. You are good and you do good. This is just God. This is like you can bank on this. Psalm 144. 145.9 The Lord is good to all And his mercy is over all that he made 
These are just people who've walked to no good theology. God is not just steering. He's good. So if God is goodness is for you, you're good. He's good. Well, let me just go one further. She said he cure. Well, God has seen is great, not just because he's good, but because he's able. It's one thing for you to have good intentions for me. Dang, I wish I could help you. Yo, man, because you my man. But I ain't got it right now. That's good for nothing. I appreciate it. But you want somebody who not only cares, you want somebody who can. Amen? God says, I, I care, but I can. You want that goodness to be working for you. You ever see those crocodiles, even lions? They take their kids in their mouth. The same jaws that could crush are the same jaws that can care. God says all this power and this navigational skill, when it's working for you, is also the same power and navigational skill that can work against people. Oh. C.S. Lewis has a famous quote about the lion Aslan in one of his books, Chronicles of Narnia, if you've ever heard him. Aslan is the lion. He's like a Christ figure. And so somebody said to the lion, they said, is he safe? He said, of course not. But he's good. Oh, lions aren't safe, but they're good. Aslan lion, not the real lions. Don't go to the zoo to some. No, I'm saying the preacher said he's safe and good. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, 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 no. We talk about a fictional lion, Aslan. God is able. And if that goodness is for you, he says he will cure you. That's something to say. You're dusting. The little slave girl's just done. If only you hooked up with the prophet, he would have a cure. Not just he would have a cure, he would cure. God can. God cares. And God is navigating circumstances to his desired end. God is great. Let's see what else he says. God is also seen in, as great in his bigness and beyondness. The theological word would be his transcendence. Look at verse 4. So Naaman went into it, told his Lord. Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king said, go now. I will send a letter to the king of Israel, verse 5. And the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 changes of clothing, verse 6. And when the king read the letter of Israel, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? The king of Israel gets the letter. Cure a man of his leprosy. Am I God? What he was recognizing is there's some things that only a God can do. He was saying that there's some things that's beyond us. And that's the theological concept of the transcendence or the bigness of God. It's why we worship him and don't just tip our hat to him. Because he's not just another great one. He's beyond all the great ones. He's beyond. He's big. He's, he zooms out and encompasses all. That's called his transcendence. He's not like you. He's not like me. So he says, am I God? I mean, come on. You're asking me to do stuff that's outside of my pay grade, outside of my capacity. There's no man who can do what this man is asking. That's God. That's good theology. And some of us, what we need, nobody can help us but God. We go to other people first. You know, when all else fails, pray. You know that shirt? You ever heard that shirt? When all else fails, pray. That's what we do. 
God says, I put you in circumstances where you need someone big enough. I'm big enough. But the theologians have done right to say a transcendent God is good, but we need a God who's not just transcendent, but there's another big word they talk about, who's imminent. We need a God who's big and beyond, but we need that same big and beyond God to be near and accessible. So, verse 8 says, But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. He basically says, Why are you tearing your clothes? Just because a need for God is there. Come to the prophet. That's what we do. We are the evidence that there's a God that's not just up there, but that's accessible down here. Isn't that good? You don't want the man upstairs? When the trouble is downstairs, better better talk to the man upstairs. The beauty of Emmanuel, the Bible tells us, is that it's God with us. Philippians 2 says that big God became little. Mary said, oh, oh, and out of Mary comes one who's from eternity past. Why? Just the floss? Look, watch this trick. Watch me get small. No. John 1.18 says, no one has seen the Father. But the one who's at the Father's side, he makes him known. The purpose about Jesus coming to earth was to demonstrate that the big transcendent God is near. He's with us. And the apostles said, and we saw his glory. We handled him. We touched him. Oh, this is crazy. Why would God make himself not only known but accessible? I told you we couldn't even shop when the Pope came around. They stopped us from shopping. They put up protection that's never there any other time. He wasn't accessible to all. Jesus walked. And I don't mean like Kanye. I'm talking about the real Jesus walked. (laughs) And God says, because the theology here is that the God you need is not like you. He does not just hang around in temples made with hands. Yet, another truth is he's accessible to all. He's great because what great person would make themselves available to people who don't deserve it? If you ever heard of deism, deism is the belief in a God who's up there and doesn't worry about what's going on down here. He just keeps stuff running so you won't have to worry about it, but then lets you do your thing. Our founding fathers in America were deists, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty, justice for all. They're deists. Do the research. They believe in a God up there. They thought that God kept things orderly so that we could do our thing down here. This proves you don't need a God who's up there only. You need a God who's accessible. God has seen is great in his providence, his ability to steer things to a desired end. God has seen is good in his goodness in that when he steers, if, if, if you are in his care, his goodness is toward you, for you. God has seen is good in that, he, again, he has a, not only the care but the can in him. He's just good and he's able. He's big so he can handle any problem. He's near so he can actually be accessed. Is that the God that you trust in today? That's a great God. That's a great God. 
And so this begs the point, we need to readjust, oh snap, we need to readjust our understanding of greatness because the cross messes this all up because the cross of Christ is where greatness gets flipped on its head and if you don't understand greatness you'll miss Jesus you will miss the cross you will miss the kingdom of God Isaiah 53 6 says Jesus was despised and rejected we esteemed him not we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted we slept on him because he didn't look great so Jesus came on the earth and the very leaders of Israel who searched the scriptures knew the scriptures missed it so I got kids so I can say this the Muppets right the Muppets just had a movie out. It was about a fake Kermit, Kermit the Frog. Yes, how many of y'all watched that? Yeah, yeah, all right, bet. The difference between the Hermits, Kermits, was a mole. So one of the jokes in the movie was Kermit would be there talking and the, 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 the crook who looked like Kermit had a mole, looked like Kermit and everybody, just a mole. So they would be like, oh my gosh, there he is. Turn around, and then he would just put his hand over the mold. They'd be like, oh, Kermit. <laughs> and he turned around, and he take it. And I mean, just a mold. All you got to do is cover up a mold, and you can't figure out that that's Kermit or not Kermit. And that's the joke. Like, all I have to do is remove my hand from the mold or put my hand over it, and you think... Jesus is like, listen, when he came on earth, he says, don't let the flesh fool you. The lame walk, the blind see... He says, people are coming from the dead. You don't see it? I'm God? You mean, uh, he says, you search the scriptures. They speak about me. But you don't see it because what? I came out of Nazareth? They said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? One said, hold on, Messiah is not going. Uh-uh, nah, he can't. When he wound up on a cross, they said, mm-mm. Messiah wouldn't be on a cross. When he hung out with tax collectors and sinners, they said, mm-mm, Messiah wouldn't receive tax collectors and sinners. He's not Messiah because their understanding of greatness was messed up. Later on, Paul, the great apostle in 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, the message of the cross is slept on. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us being saved, it's the power of God. He says people miss the cross because it just sounds like a silly idea. He said, other people, it's not having their pizzazz for them. They need pizzazz. In the kingdom, the Lord Jesus says, you'll miss the kingdom because you're looking for the wrong things. You'll miss the gospel because you'll think works are more impressive than just believing. Just believe? I, I wish I would. You can't just believe. You got to, and then you come up with your list. Now, that's, that's how you get saved. Oh, you're more impressed with your list of activities than the finished work of one who's great. So let's get through this story, adjusting our view of greatness. Look at verse 9. Watch this. So Naaman has been sent because Elijah sent word. Hey, don't tear your clothes, king. Bring them to the prophet. The prophet will expose that there's a God in Israel. Verse 9. So Haman came with his horses, chariots, the idea we already said earlier, we're going to see earlier at least, that he had packed up all of these, this, oh yeah, we did see it, that he packed up all of this money and all of this clothes and all of this, because so, again, we talking about greatness and I'm going to get uh, my, my situation, so I'm going to a great guy, I got my horses and my chariots, I'm a great guy, and I'm going to give him some, a great payment for the great deed that he's about to do, because that's how greatness works. So he comes with his horses, chariots, stood at the door of Elisha's house, and Elisha sent the messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. He didn't even make it off the horse. He was like, okay, check, got the gold, ah, check, got the silver, ah, yeah, hand me that, yeah, ah, the raisin cakes, you know how we do. I mean, so he's getting off, and a little, another nameless guy comes up to him and says, Go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be made clean. 
He said, what, what? I said, go wash seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored. <laughs> Look what the text says. Verse 11, but Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me. Stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. He said, oh, I just knew he was going to come out and be like, Naaman, heard all about you. <laughs> I got you. Hold on. he was expecting cure the leper name him is going to be like I thought surely he was going to come stand call wave verse 12 plus besides did he tell me to go jump in the Jordan are not, verse 12, Abana and Parfar, Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the water? Got excited. Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. You see that? His understanding of the transaction was offense to him. The Bible says about the gospel, it's an offense. When you give people God's way, when you give people God's word, when you give people God's strategies, when you send people God's messengers, often people walk away offended. Because our view is wrong. He says, I know better. Put me in good waters to get me good. Do shenanigans to heal me. No, but the gospel view is different. And once again, look. Verse 13. But his servant, who we don't know his name. But his servants came near and said, my father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Look at the perspectives. He says, but this is great. This is great. It's simple. Look, he says, has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? Look, it's real simple. Wash. Ta-da. Just go down. Seven times. Ta-da. He didn't say jog a marathon. He didn't say go to the temple, sacrifice the internet, stripe yourself, beat yourself. Fast, shave your head, cross your legs, get on the pole. <laughs> he said, go, wash, be clean. The servant got it. And in the Gospels, go home, read them. The people who shouldn't get it, get it. And the people who should get it, don't. Do you get it today? He has not told you to come up with the plan. He has not told you to work out the plan. He has not told you to come and work your way into his graces. The Lord Jesus Christ has a gospel. The gospel is this. All the work was accomplished for us in Jesus Christ on the cross. He's God. He became man. He lived 33 perfect years. He proved that he is the righteous one, he fulfills the righteous requirements that God demands, and he offers that righteousness to all who would come to him to just be washed. Come to him in faith, be cleaned, be saved, be changed, be secured. And that's the word today. God is great because it, his greatness is, and it's toward us. 
if, but we must readjust our understanding of greatness. Lest we miss God, lest we miss Jesus, lest we miss, miss the gospel, lest we miss the thing, the way God does it. So the story ends, and I'm coming in for a close. After the servants said, this is a great word. Verse 14, so he went and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. In the Bible, leprosy is a, is a picture of our spiritual state. It's uncleanliness. The Bible says that we must be cleansed. It's it's dysfunction it's it separates it causes alienation the bible says that god in one act of obedience by jesus can remove all of that and make you white as snow though your sins are like scarlet they shall be white as snow bible says you who are far away have been brought near and then the same gospel that keeps you that saves you keeps you so it's that same power change your understanding of greatness the Lord Jesus says, the one that wants to be great serves. He says, that's not the way the world does it. The world, the great ones, they try to be great. He says, in my economy, the great ones get to the bottom. And so if we will respond rightly to this, for the sake of time, I will not go through this, but I'm going to summarize it for you. Verses 15 to 27 is a response to the greatness of God. Naaman goes back. He's overwhelmed. He tries to pay for what just took place. Elisha says, I will not take your money. I want you to experience the grace of God and the greatness of God free of charge. I want you to go back and tell him about God. Naaman says, I will. I know. Look at verse 15. Then he returned to the man of God and said, Behold, I know there is no God in all of the earth but in Israel. The very point of God doing it the way God did it was so that he would come to this conclusion. There is no God except this God. The reason why God wants to do what he wants to do in you and in me is so we will have one conviction. There is no God like our God. One God, one God, and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ makes him known. He is the one. Goes on. He says, take your, he says, okay, well, when I go home, I'm going to go through the motions of, because he was an armor bearer for his king. He says, oh, the king, he takes me in. He goes into the temple with his God. I bow the knee, but I'm not bowing for real, for real. I'm just being his armor bearer so he can lean, all right? Elisha says, go in peace. But then Elisha's servant, Gehazi, he says, carry the one. The Bible says that he runs and he says to name in a far off way. My master changed his mind. A couple of people came to his house, so he rethought it, and he said, give us a couple changes of clothes, a little bit of that cash. Those raisin cakes wouldn't be bad either. <laughs> that part's not in there. I just made that up. And then he said, oh, sure, here, give that man what he wants. The moral of the story is, Elisha saw him in the spirit and told him, why did you do it? He says, the leprosy that was on Naaman will now be on you. And Gehazi received that leprosy. The moral of the story is a right response to God's greatness. Exclusive worship and adoration and faithfulness to God. The wrong reaction, leverage God's greatness for your gain. Try to use, and the Bible says there are those who think godliness is a means of their own gain. Oh. So here it is. The greatness of God, the greatness of that gospel. God is the one who's at work doing. God's gospel is the work accomplished. All you're told to do is believe it. After that response takes place, and it is faithfulness, worship, and adoration to our God. That victory song that we sang felt climatic for me. Because I thought about his greatness. Yeah. 
and his gospel. And so as we close, Charles Spurgeon is right. Worship should be somewhat like its object. Great praise for a great God. Praise may be said to be great when the song contains great matter, when the hearts producing it are intensely fervent, and when large numbers unite in grand acclaim. No chorus is too loud, no orchestra too large, no song too lofty for the lauding of the Lord of hosts. If you know Jesus today, we ought to give him some praise right now. He's a great gospel with a great God. And if you don't know him, the gospel is simple. It's come, believe, and be washed and made clean. We're going to bring the pastor up. I'm going to pray. We're going to bring the pastor up. Amen. Amen. Father, we want to thank you, your people, because we are the people with a great God. We thank you for leading us to you by your providential hand. We thank you for being good in nature so that when we got to you, you didn't deal with us according to our sins. We thank you for being able to, be, to deal with our sins. We thank you for being so big you could deal with every kind of sin. We thank you you could deal with every kind of person. We thank you that you're so near that you're accessible not only to bring us salvation, but to keep us as we walk after salvation. We thank you that you are the great God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And now, Father, cause us to worship and rightly respond to this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope that you can find a way to impact the community around you through this church or a local church around you. We also encourage you to find a church to get connected to, whether that's here at RCF or somewhere close to you. If you want to find out more about RCF, visit rcfministries.org or watch us live on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. on the RCF Network. Thanks for listening.